We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this episode we'll be talking mls's 28th season is upon us this week uh a legit title race or races over there in europe nba all-star farce a packed woso weekend mls jersey porn and so much more but first joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light david mossy a soccer savant and a fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire mossy how you doing on this monday february 20th in the year 2023 i am doing well on this holiday it's uh, kind of empty here in the fox lot at pico it's empty everywhere uh in los angeles right now many of the schools are uh, out on break right now obviously president's day so it was a, a it was magical driving in the city of angels uh today so happy president's day um and thank you to all of our presidents that have served us most of them very well um uh, reader, uh, see anything interesting here uh, over the weekend? As you know, I am a big fan of that Formula One reality yes. show, Drive to Survive. Yes. A new season of that is dropping on Netflix this week. And lots of other sports have tried to create their equivalent to that. Um, there was a tennis one that mm -hmm. was released recently called Breakpoint, which I thought was pretty good, but not great. Last week, a golf one came out on Netflix called Full Swing. I've already ripped through all eight episodes. Ooh, I loved it. Really? Thought it was excellent. Very well done. Two thumbs up for you. Had the similar effect that Drive to Survive has had on me as far as Formula One. Mm -hmm. I think this show might have as far as golf. I'm not the biggest golf fan, but I'm now very interested in a lot of these guys, and I'm going to be checking for them so moving forward. So what, now that you've seen some that have worked and some that haven't, what is the key ingredient that's either there or in some cases missing? Well, you have to get the top players to buy in, which wasn't the case with the tennis one. Okay. And, you know, they just have to be compelling personalities. And with the golf one, a lot of them were younger and just seemed more relatable to me. You know, golf, you sort of think of as this elitist sport, rich, old, white guys. And this show paints a totally different picture of this sport and and made it a lot more interesting to me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to checking well, all these. Isn't that what it's designed to do? And and this uh, show chronicles the whole live dispute, oh, which was yes. a running theme throughout the 2022 year in golf. And so that was fascinating to get behind the scenes insight into all you're of hooked. that. You're hooked. You are hooked. You're not sliced. You're hooked, baby. Uh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, that's, I, I might check that. Uh, I might check that out. And so, and, you know, to your point, as these other sports and many other leagues are looking at the success of that as a vehicle and, and content that 
brings attention and people into the the tent. Who knows? As we go on, uh, MLS has tried some stuff in the past, and now with their importance of uh, cranking out content, uh, they're going to need as much of that uh, that as possible. I did not watch anything in particular, um, other than uh, I I, uh, I I went back and watched some old uh, movies I, that uh, to see if they held up, like. Um, uh, let's see, Breakfast Club and those types, uh, those types of things. So it 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 does. It's it's pretty good. They wouldn't be made today. A lot of these movies now that uh, are classics, especially from uh, around the eighties, but uh, they still they still hold up. What I did watch, Mossy, though, and not not because I wanted to, but we had some uh, some friends over to the house last night, and you know, as we're you know sitting around having some drinks and shooting the shit, um, in the background, we had the uh, NBA All-Star Game. Yeah, you ever heard of this, uh, the uh, All-Star situation? Uh, you know, yes, for, I am familiar okay, with the good. NBA All-Star you know, They game. have uh, leagues always have these All-Star Games, right? And uh, so the NBA All-Star Game was happening. Now, I am not a big NBA uh, fan. Um, I, you know, I watch it every once in a while. But I, I know what a basketball game looks like. I grew up... Um, you know, with uh, my Detroit Pistons and bad boys and all that kind of stuff. So I watched plenty of basketball and you know, I can still recognize quality when I see it either individual or collective out there. This was anything but Mossy. This was a complete farce of a sporting event. And, and I know all-star games, nobody wants to get hurt. They are for celebration and they have, you know, more important things. There was more sweating and more effort being put into the performances uh, by the uh, the artists there that were giving performances throughout the night than anybody on the field. I thought it was just I thought it was boring. I thought it was disgraceful. And I thought it 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 lived up to all of those negative stereotypes that we give to uh, all star games. And so from an NBA perspective, not that they care what what I say because I'm not their target audience and I'm certainly not a fan. But at one point, everybody that was hanging out, like I said, it was it was on in the background. Everybody just turned all of their attention to look at just the lack of any semblance of team or pride relative to defending. And maybe nobody wants to do that. Maybe just people just want to see a what amounted to a glorified three-point and dunking contest, which they already have anyway. So why even play that actual game? So anyway, that's that's what I watched, and I will not be watching it again. And again, I didn't watch it intentionally. So, but you don't watch you don't watch All Star games in general. Yeah, I'm with you. I I'm not a fan for the reasons that you outlined. Right. So I gave up on this a long time ago. All right, should we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. Where should we start off? Because we come in this week. Uh, this is the first of our two shows this week. But we come in in the week, and this is the week of the return of MLS. The 28th season, Mossy, if you can believe it, is on uh, upon us. Games start this uh, this weekend. Everybody's very, very excited for what is going on on and off the field. We will be talking in both of our shows this week about uh, about Major League Soccer and uh, the return of this uh, this league that, you know, I, I know and love many of you out there uh, know and love. As I said this morning, there are people that that love Major League Soccer. There are people that hate Major League Soccer. There are people that love just to hate Major League Soccer. But regardless of where you are in that spectrum, I think 
even the staunchest uh, critic of Major League Soccer can at least recognize that this is the most successful league in uh, American sports history when it comes to a, a professional soccer league and Canadian history for that for that matter. And it has done an a, an incredible amount of good both on and off the field relative to progressing uh, to progressing soccer. Has flaws. Absolutely has uh, has problems. It is not perfect. It is La Cosa Nostra, warts, uh, warts and all. But it is it is our thing, and uh, and I certainly love it. It is upon us. It starts uh, it starts this weekend. So where do you want to start as we go through this? And this is going to be a top line type of look at what the twenty eighth twenty eighth season looks like. Well, just to remind everybody where we left off, last year LAFC won the Supporter Shield and MLS Cup. They defeated the Philadelphia Union in an epic MLS Cup. Nashville's Hani Mukhtar won the MVP and the Golden Boot. Uh, we add a team this year, St. Louis City FC. They are the 29th team. They enter in the Western Conference. Nashville, who have had quite the nomadic existence in MLS, they switch back to the East. So now yep. we have 15 teams in the East, 14 in the West. And until I hear otherwise, the top seven in each conference make the playoffs. <laughs> They've spent all offseason talking about tweaking the playoff format, but nothing definitive has happened yet. Um, so you went through each conference and divided the teams up into three different tiers. The way I interpreted this was the first group of teams, teams that you feel pretty good about making the playoffs, mm -hmm. the bottom tier, teams that you feel pretty good about not making the playoffs, and then there's a middle group that could go either way. Yeah, I mean, we could we could throw names out, you know, uh, you know, in the hunt, contenders, pretenders, all that kind of stuff, better luck next year, all, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I just I basically put it into three different categories with this in mind. I think Major League Soccer is the most difficult league in the world to predict. And it's by design. We talk about the manufactured parity and the way that it is structured to increase that competition and increase that parity, which means that you can go from worst to first. Now, there has been some separation, and I think there are some safe and safer bets out there in terms of hedging. But this is what on the surface right now, this is, you know, this is where I this is where I come down. So let's start with the usual suspects to a certain extent uh, when it comes to in the hunt, absolute contenders when it mean when it comes to uh, to MLS Cup. So you, you mentioned LAFC starting right off the bat. Uh, this is a team under Steve Terundel in his first year that did an incredible job. We're starting in the Western Conference, obviously. Uh, LAFC, I think they're going to be right back up there now. They have lost Chicharango, the Rodney Dangerfield of Major League Soccer and of the LAFC. He is he has moved on. That is, regardless of the way that the LAFC brass feel, that is a big loss because it's not just about scoring goals. MLS goals, those are hard to come by. And when you have somebody that does it consistently, consistently in the way that Chicharango did, you damn well better be sure that you are going to fill that spot. Because if you don't, it's going to be a long season. They bring in Aaron Long. That shores up uh, the defense. Lots of experience. Bring him in on uh, free agency. And I think that that is a a good addition. And then you can pronounce it because I know you're really excited about the fact that you looked up exactly how to pronounce it, but they have some young talent coming in too. Uh, John Thorington in the press conference, which I listened to on YouTube, referred to the young Croatian they signed as Stipe Buk. Oof. All right. It's spelled S-T-I-P-E and then lasting B-I-U-K. Doesn't matter how it's spelled or how you pronounce it. Dude is coming in, young 20-year-old, like you said, fast, uh, and hopefully makes uh, makes his mark in terms of it. And it's, and it's going to be hard for LAFC to live up to the past, but they are uh, certainly a good bet. Last team to repeat, MLS Cup champions, the Galaxy 2011-2012. Uh, 
you mentioned losing Arango. Feels like there's another move to be made there. They were linked to Aubameyang. It might not be him, but somebody of that ilk will well, arrive. Well, they know they have to replace him, yeah. Right? But I'm also curious to see if guys like Cifuentes and Palacios stay the whole year. There's a thought that they might leave in the summer. Yeah. So this roster feels like a work in progress. We'll see how there, it... There are a bunch of those. There are yeah. a bunch of works in progress. And because of the unique aspect of when Major League Soccer plays with the summer transfer window coming, fundamentally you can change your team, uh, actually for the better and for the worse, relative to the summer because teams have to sell at times because they get great offers and some teams have to go and, and are able to completely change their uh, their fortunes. And keep in mind also, this this year uh, they will be stopping, They, I mean the uh, MLS and... Liga MX for the, uh, what are we calling it? Uh, Leagues Cup. Leagues Cup, excuse me. So a full month of that tournament with every single team from MLS and every single team from uh, Liga MX. Uh, Austin, I got up there. Uh, the you know Josh Wolf really kicked on, and that that entire organization really did a great job uh, last year. Drusy, uh, they've locked him up uh, long term, and absolutely an MVP candidate. Uh, they rely a tremendous amount on him. Which is which is okay, but they've added the great Jossie Zardes in. So now for his, I think we 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 tallied it up his fourth team. So maybe he can provide a little bit of magic, uh, and he's still got something left in the tank. I think much will depend on Rigoni, who used to be good, folks. I watched him very closely when he was at São Paulo, and he used to be a very good player. We'll see if he can recapture that same form. A lot of people predicting a drop off for Austin. They feel like they overperformed. Uh, last season, but no, you still think they they kick I, on and are one of the elite teams in the West. Again. I still think, although, and and this I don't this is not an on the field thing, but keep in mind that Claudio Reyna, that whole situation now, and he was as part of a, a team over there, the architect of this team is now, you know, for lack of a better word, a, a consultant, and we don't know how much influence and how much he is going to be involved, or even if that has an impact going forward. All right, um, I got FC Dallas up there in my uh, top tier. Uh, goodbye, Matt Hedges. Um, let's see who else is coming in there for uh, FC Dallas. Uh, they they have a solid defense. Uh, they had a solid defense last year, uh, but as we mentioned, they are losing Hedges, longtime uh, Dallas player. And again, this free, free agency it, it causes some of these players that have been around for a long time in places to look elsewhere. Uh, can they score more? They had uh, 48 goals for, and as I said, 37 goals against. So they got to find a way to put the ball in the back of the net more. Jesus Ferreira, the MLS Young Player of the Year last year. We'll see if he can produce another big campaign alongside Ariola and Velasco and guys like that. Keep an eye on Giovanni Jesus, young Brazilian right back who they signed, who I think is pretty good. Uh, so yeah, very good team. Mm -hmm. All right, the Loons. Uh, I, I struggled putting them up here because, uh, you know, as go... Uh, the loon uh, Reynoso, who is now a wall, and I probably have to change this uh, ultimately. But this is where they are right now, and I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because sometimes people are, and maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I'm projecting, but they are so dependent on Reynoso. And for those that don't know, he <laughs> he has not showed up in preseason camp. He is not there right now. They're not saying anything other than he is not being paid right now and he's dealing with off-field issues. Uh, we don't know what's going on. In any other league, this would be much, much bigger news. But evidently, this is just, uh, you know... Uh, par for the course uh, going forward. So I probably have them much higher up than a lot of people out there, including the guy across from me. Yeah, like you said, it, it all depends on the Reynoso situation. If he shows up and is happy and playing well, then I could absolutely see them being one of the better teams in the West. But until we know what happens with him, yeah, there are other good players, Fragapan, Lod, and Amaria, but uh, 
as you mentioned. It all revolves around I think around they him. pick up the slack uh, in, in a way that people are surprised. Um, okay. Uh, then I got the LA Galaxy also up there. They finished fourth in the West last year. We know that they are in a in the midst, not just in the moment, but now over in multiple years here of not being great relative to their great past, not being horrible, but not being great. And you know now Chris Klein and uh, being uh, being punished for cheating and that kind of stuff that's going on, the Klein out situation that's going on, the supporters are angry, everybody's screaming and yelling, but I still got them uh, still finding a way to do much better this year. To add to all that, Ricky Pouge being bored. Right, he's bored with Los Angeles, yep. you know, so who, who knows what's going on. Uh, so. But they do get a full season of that pretty good midfield they had by the end of last year with Delgado, Brugman, and Pouge. Mm-hmm. You have Chicharito up there, the emerging Jovalich. Uh, so... There are some things to like about this team. I understand the fans' frustration has been bubbling up over several years, but it is coming now at a, to a head at a time where I actually think they're coming off a pretty good season and the outlook is not bad for this campaign. So they've been in worse shape at different points in the last few years than they are right now. Never, ever uh, expect outrage, okay, uh, to to jibe always with the reality of the situation that's going on. All right? You need to get out of outrage's way and just let it outrage, okay? Just so, so that's what's happening. Uh, Mavinga comes in. Uh, they do have to shore up the defense. They let in 51 goals last year, and uh, that's important. All right, so now a, a mid-tier, tier two, if you will, certainly contenders when it comes to what's going on. Um, I got RSL, Portland, Seattle, and... Uh, sporting KC. RSL, they finished seventh, uh, seventh in the West. Uh, Krylak was not available. He was injured most of the year. I think he is key uh, key going forward. Um, they signed um, Andres Gomez, uh, Millonarios uh, winger, and some others there. So I got them just kind of hanging around. They always kind of do it. They're a kind of out of sight, out of mind team that just kind of go about doing their business under uh, Pablo Mastriani. I'm with you. This sounds about right for them. Okay. Portland, uh, eighth in the West. I got them doing better. Uh, your uh, compatriot uh, there, uh, Evander, is that, am I pronouncing that right? I know how you yeah. Brazilians love to pronounce things differently. So The, the overarching question in MLS this year is who will finish second to Evander for MVP? Okay. And it is Evander, just the way it is, right? Yeah. Okay. We're going to, so the uh, Brazilian comes over from Michelin. Is that where he was, uh, he was playing? Yeah, so in he Denmark, comes yeah. In, in, uh, in Denmark. So that will be interesting. Eric Williamson, who you know I love. He is my favorite midfielder uh, since Darlington Nagby, American midfielder since Darlington Nagby. They don't have a ruthless striker, which is why uh, you know they're going to need Evander to kind of be that Valeri type of uh, situation. Who knows? G- Giovanni Severesi in his sixth season, I think, at this point. You know, at some point uh, he's going to be under pressure. Uh, but I think that they're happy with the way that it, things are going. Um, Seattle, uh, after a horrible MLS year, a wonderful international year, winning CCL and having that historic uh, moment, although it didn't last very long in the uh, in the Club World Cup, but still being able to say that in the uh, in the modern version of uh, of uh, Concacaf Champions League, they won it and they were the first MLS team to do it. They finished 11th last year, didn't make the playoffs for the first time. We know uh, another one, Eber. He comes over from NYCFC and they're looking to him to provide the goal scoring punch that they need up top. Uh, to circle back to Portland for one second, all jokes aside, I am super high on Evander. This deal went down when we were in Qatar covering the World Cup. I remember talking to John Strong about it during one of our dinners together. Uh, I think he could have a Luca Zellerayan type impact for Portland. He's a player who's been doing very well in Denmark and was linked to some pretty big European clubs. He's only 24. So this was a nice pull by MLS. So I think he really boosts Portland. Seattle, 
I don't read anything into their Club World Cup defeat. I think if everybody stays healthy, Juan Paulo back to his best, they not only make the playoffs, but they become a major contender again. I, I still think that's one of the best squads in MLS. Okay. And then I am... Uh, have you talked about SKC yet? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Take it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty high on them as well. Remember, they finished the season very strong once they got Agada and Tommy there. We'll see what happens with Polito and Kinda if they can get healthy. I mean, Polito's like a new player, basically, right. if he can come back you know, and, but, and be okay. They got uh, Tim Liebold, uh, left back from Hamburg. And... It, you know, Peter Vermes, who we talk about a lot just in the context of American soccer and the national team, and, you know, he is and will always be a legend when it comes to what he has meant to, you know, the city of Kansas City and what he has meant to the soccer in that. I mean, he's basically been the architect of what Sporting KC uh, has become. But it doesn't make you completely immune to the pressures. And I think this is a big year. I think he has to have, like you said, a comeback. And I think he will. Uh, should we go on? Sure. All, All right. right. So then we get to the the bottom. Now, there's nothing that says that these teams can't do well. And, you know, you can at me and send me, you know, horrible things. And by the way, if you'd want to, feel free. Use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, or send us uh, a, a message at 657-549-2297 on our State of the Union podcast hotline if you want to yell about these opinions. And that's all they are. They're just opinions. And they could absolutely be wrong. And if you want to laminate them and put them up on the board, feel free. I'd expect some compensation or at least some recognition if I'm being used to motivate your team. Uh, okay. Uh, Vancouver finished ninth in the West. Uh, the only thing, I mean, look, what's the most interesting thing that's happened with Vancouver over the course of the last 10 years, right? Uh, I don't know. Alfonso Davies. Okay. That's the most interesting thing. And maybe, you know, Vanny Sartini admitting that he's a socialist or something like that. Those are the interesting things that, uh, that are happening. But, you know, they're trying to get back to a situation where people actually care, where they are relevant, and obviously where they are good. And they're adding some players. Uh, let's see, Matias uh, Laborda, uh, the defender, Sergio Cordova, the uh, the forward. Anything on uh, the uh, Whitecaps there? I like Kubas, uh, the midfielder. I think okay. he's actually one of the better uh, holding midfielders in the league. So, uh, But yeah, pretty nondescript team, I agree. All right, Colorado, do you have any faith in the uh, Colorado Rapids? Tenth in the West. So long, Jossie's artist, as we mentioned. Well, Hello. They've added Kevin Cabral. <laughs> Cabral. It, it, would, it would be the most galaxy thing ever if he becomes this clinical right? finisher and wins the golden boot. I mean, this is, by the way, this is Robin Frazier's fifth season. I, I do think that that seat will get hotter, even though it is historically a team that doesn't make changes and doesn't have a whole lot of, a lot of pressure. And so I think he will be under the hot seat um, and uh, pressure to have uh, them do well. Houston uh, hasn't been good in a while. 13th in the West. Another coaching change, yet another coaching change uh, to uh, Ben Olsen. We'll see if the Olsen era is able to produce better results. Hector Herrera showed up last year, uh, evidently. <laughs> But Ben's going to have to get uh, make sure that he is firing on all, all cylinders. Uh, Ivan Franco, uh, from uh, an attacking midfielder from Paraguay, comes in to, to help. Any, any hope when it comes to Houston? Ben Olsen, who famously took a shot at you in a TMZ interview yeah. years ago. Remember when you <laughs> crapped on the Wayne Rooney signing? He was D.C. United coach then. Right. Um, I like this Sebastian Ferreira. Okay. Uh, I think he's a pretty good player up front. We'll see if Hector Herrera can improve. Um, but I don't see too much going on there for Houston. I, I, I think where you have them is correct. Okay. Uh, San Jose, they finished 14th last. So they are also in the bottom. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's San Jose. And, you know, having said that, Luchi Gonzalez. So that era, another new coach comes in now. Keep in mind that 
although he was named last year, he finished off with the national team and Greg Berhalter's staff now comes and full time with uh, the San Jose Earthquakes. And I'm sure he was dealing with it. 69 goals against last year. Carlos Gureza comes in at defensive midfield. I think that's a, a an experienced player to come in to help hopefully shore up that defense, but they got to find ways to not let in goals. Uh, we'll see if they can hold on to Kate Cowell the whole year. He's already getting linked to a host of European clubs. He's probably going to play for the U.S. in the Under-20 World Cup, which is going to raise his profile even more. But speaking of U.S. youth teams, this Cruz Medina is playing for the Under-17 team right now. More on that later on the podcast. Uh, he looks to be a special talent, so maybe he'll break through this season. All right, and we finish off with uh, St. Louis debutants, first year in the league. If they even smell the playoffs, I think it will be considered a success. Um, uh, Roman Berkey, the uh, the goalkeeper, after a long career over in Germany and, and uh, uh, in Europe, comes over. He has just been named captain. I think I saw that on the way into work today. Uh, he is going to need to play very well because I think he is going to be under immense pressure from the rest of the teams. The first ever designated player in club history is Brazilian striker João Klaus. So I'll be rooting for him to do well. Do you know anything about him? No. Okay. But he's Brazilian, so he must have some sort of ability when it comes to the game. Allegedly. Uh, there, are, there are players <laughs> like Fred that dispel that. All point. right. Uh, moving on to the uh, the Eastern Conference. Uh, and as we mentioned with LAFC, and while, while going about it very differently and the profiles are, are very different, there's still undeniable success when it comes to LAFC and the Philadelphia Union. And I don't think that changes. Obviously, this is a team that is just doing some small tweaks here, but this is also a team that is built on youth. And so that the good thing is that you can create assets and uh, players that help you on the field, but it also means that people are going to come calling. The loss of Paxton Aronson, these types of things happen. I don't think that's going to change a tremendous amount of what uh, Jim Curtin and company are doing over there. So I still have them firmly at the top of my uh, top tier. I think they entered the season as the best team in MLS. It, okay. was, it was pretty much a jump ball between them and LAFC. By the end of last season, they finished level on points and tied in the MLS Cup. It was decided on penalties. And with LAFC losing Arango, Vela, you're older. While I don't think Philadelphia miss a beat, all their key players are back and in their primes. Or, great or defense. Even younger and entering great, their primes. You know, arguably Gaz, the best goalkeeper in the, in the league. Gazdag, Carranza yep, leading yep. the attack. Martinez in the midfield. The emerging Jack McGlynn. Everybody back in the defense. Glessness, Elliott, Wagner, Blake, and goal. Uh, they are loaded. They are, not to give this away, they are my pick to win MLS Cup. Okay. Uh, and so I love this team. And they got, uh, I mean, as I said, they're just picking and choosing some different possible tweaks. And maybe it's just some different looks. Uh, Joaquin Torres coming down from uh, Montreal, the 24-year-old Argentine, you know, five foot five. Maybe he gives them a different look, a Maxi Morales-esque type of look when it comes to uh, playing. Who knows? Uh, Nashville SC, I have them uh, in, my, uh, in my top tier. Uh, they finished fifth in the West. They had uh, Fafa Pico and Mukhtar, who we mentioned. Talk about being reliant on a player. They are some would argue overly reliant on him, but if you're going to be reliant on a player, this is the guy because he continues uh, to, to to bring it. Absolute candidate for uh, for MVP uh, going forward again. Nick uh, Nick DePue comes in from Los Angeles. Last year they did let up 41 goals. They probably have to work uh, work on that, and they got to hope that that Mukhtar stays healthy. Yeah, all rests on his shoulders. But yeah, I have no reason to doubt Nashville's ability to make the playoffs. They've shown that every season since they've entered MLS. All right, so here's a controversial one. NYACFC, I do have them in my top tier. This is 
without a doubt, I think we can all agree, an NYCFC that is in massive transition, and this goes back to what you said earlier, I think that these are works in progress, and I think that this NYCFC team is going to look very different at the end of this year as opposed to this weekend uh, when they kick off. They bring in Matt Freeze because they obviously lost uh, Sean Johnson in goal. We don't know if Matt Freeze can be a starting goalkeeper, but that's obviously what's happening. They have lost the spine and great players down the middle of the field. This is a team, as I said, in complete transition. Your friend Talos Magno, speaking of Brazilians, who is just better on the wing, might ultimately have to be the number nine going forward. So there are massive questions, but I feel that they are going to overcome these questions and, like I said, improve as the year goes on. I think there's some regression there relative to the last two seasons. Remember, they won MLS Cup two years ago. And last year, we're an Andre Blake save away from going to MLS Cup again. If they had gone up 2-0 in the second half of that Eastern Conference final, that game probably would have been over. Um, I don't think they're going to be at that level again, but I don't think they regress all the way out of the playoffs like some people are predicting. I still think there's enough talent there. Santi Rodriguez, Tyler Magno, Gabby Pereira, Keaton Parks, etc. for them to make the playoffs. But you hit on the key point. I would like this team so much better if they had a quality center forward and Tyler's could move back to the wing. And that's where, you know, we've talked about this there was an early iteration of NYCFC that behaved like a stereotypical big market MLS club, signing guys like David Villa, Andrea Pirlo, Frank Lampard. Somewhere along the line, they pivoted to being more about developing young players and feeling like an arm of the City Football Group yep. network. And it's worked for them. They've had success the last couple of years, as I mentioned. But I, I just feel like they've gotten caught up in this idea that Talis Magno's value will go up a few million if he demonstrates an ability to play at center forward as well. So they're being a bit stubborn about it where if they were driven you more mean, by... Even at the expense of the success of yes, NYCFC? Yes. See, that is bullshit, all right? That is that is what is... If that is the case, I'm, I don't necessarily think it is the case, but if that is the case, that is dereliction of duty. That is absolutely ridiculous. I think the driving impetus behind some of their moves now is no longer just putting the absolute best team on the field that can go out and win MLS Cup. It's more this larger view of player development and who they can sell on. And so I do think that's but starting I, that's, to... That's, that's not what I'm saying. Player development is all fine. But if it's at the expense of your team that you are selling tickets to, that you are selling to a nation and to the New York metropolitan area, then be honest about it. You would agree, though, if they're only goal was to put out the best possible team to go out and win MLS Cup this year. They would go out and sign a center forward and move Talos yeah, to the which right. I think they will do okay, ultimately. We'll so, yeah. so that's so yeah. I'm not I'm not having a go with them as they say for what you're suggesting because you're just suggesting it now. Now, but but I, I don't put it past them. All right, so uh, Columbus uh, finished eighth. Cucho and Zellerian under uh, well for Nancy who comes down from Montreal and look. Columbus recognized, whether they're right or not, remains to be seen, that Nancy is an incredible talent. They hired from within in terms of within MLS, and that doesn't always necessarily happen, especially after someone gets uh, gets let go. So uh, this is going to be interesting. Christian Ramirez comes in. Maybe he catches fire, but plenty of talent out there, and we'll see if, if Nancy completely changes the way that they play for the better or he just kind of pushes it along and does some smaller tweaks going forward. And it's going to take some time. Yeah, no, th this team has underachieved it by missing the playoffs the last couple of years. You look at that squad on paper, and they should not be missing the playoffs. And now they get a full season of Cucho. Zellerian is still brilliant. And the best coaching hire, um, I mean, Nancy was one of the top two or three coaches in the league last season. So, um, so I think he'll do well there. Yeah, I think this is a playoff team this year. 
Okay, Cincinnati. Well, they came good last year, and uh, it, it was fun to see, especially after their incredible history of, uh, of failure. They finished fifth in the East. They add 20-year-old uh, Marco Angulo. Um, I have them, like I said, in my top tier. They scored a lot, and they let up a lot of goals. Uh, Mosquera uh, from, comes over from Wolves. Maybe, uh, maybe that helps, but I think that they, they find it more difficult, but I don't necessarily think that they regress. What do you think? Keep an eye on the Brenner situation. Ah, uh, yeah. He, he was dead set on leaving in this window, and he's very disappointed. You think he's going to sulk? You think he's going to I, I think he might sulk. Pat Noonan more or less acknowledged that. He said, yeah. Typical Brazilian. Be, okay. No, yeah. it, it is, yeah. I mean, he's a guy <laughs> who I don't think has wanted to be in MLS for right. this long. And he, he, he was using it as a platform, yeah. and that platform has not, he had not a, sprung from it. He yet. had a terrific season last season, but I think he was motivated by trying to play well so he could get a move. And then Nottingham Forest expressed some interest. It never materialized. So now Pat Noonan is openly saying we're going to try to sell him in the summer because that's what he wants. And so he's going to try to convey to Brennan that he needs to play well the next few months in order to facilitate a move. But as you say, with Brazilians, you never know. He might sulk and it could derail the whole thing. But no, if, if his head's screwed on straight and he plays well, then that's maybe the best attack in the league with him and Vasquez and Acosta. So they could pick up where they left off last season and be very good again. All right, let's move on to Tier 2 in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I got our friends Orlando, and the Purple People Eaters over there. Seventh, they finished last year in the East. They add uh, Martin Ojeda. Um, let's see, uh, the Argentine winger. Facundo Torres was wonderful last year. I, I hope that he takes even another step uh, going forward. Uh, Erkan Cara was, was surprisingly good. And now with that year under his belt, uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of talent down there for Oscar to, uh, to, to tap into. But I, I almost think they underachieved a little bit last year. And so I'm looking for them to, to bump up a little bit. I like this team ahead as a player. I've read about a lot the last couple of years because Brazilian clubs have been trying to get them. So that's another nice pull by MLS. They've got a nice South American thing going there in the mid, in midfield and attack with Ojeda and Facundo Torres and Mauricio Pereira and Cesar Araujo. And so that's a lot of talent for Oscar Pareja to work with. So I think this is a playoff team again this season. All right. Red Bulls, uh, I think they're in contention. The loss of Aaron uh, Long that we mentioned, that's a, a, a big loss in terms of uh, uh, experience on the, uh, on the back line and a guy that was there forever. They bring in st striker Dante Van Zier, I think it is, 24 years old, uh, from Belgium, and they will put all of their hopes on him to score the goals up top, and Corey Burke comes in too. Also uh, kept uh, young Brazilian Elias. Um, so between him and Dante Van Zier, they're hoping that they have enough firepower up top. And if so, then yeah, they'll be a solid playoff team. All right. Uh, the pink guys, the pink guys down in Miami, inter Miami, they finished sixth in the East after, a you know, just an up and down type of year and lots of pressure. And we know they are still dealing with the aftermath of the cheating that they uh, got caught for and uh, the restrictions and the punishment that, that they are under Chris Henderson uh, and, uh, um, Phil Neville down there leading the uh, leading the charge. Now this is a year where they don't have to deal with Iguain. Now they don't have to deal with him in terms of his interesting personality and the problem that he can be. But they also, unfortunately, don't get to deal with the fact that he scored goals. And so they're going to have to find a way. I think they uh, addition by subtraction here when it comes to Iguain. I think that there's a lot of people, while they might love him and, and think he's a wonderful player and everything like that, I do think that he sucked out a lot of air and energy, and I think that they will be excited going forward without him. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see how much Joseph hasn't left in the tank, whether he can form a nice pairing there with Campana. 
And, you know, there might be another shooter drop here, a certain Argentine who you might have heard of. He just won a World Cup. Um, but let's assume no Messi for the purposes of this conversation, because that's a weird thing to hedge on. No, no. You, you, Joseph too- Martinez is the story coming in. Can <laughs> yeah. he rekindle the fire? Can he be motivated by coming to Miami and score goals in the way that we have seen in the past? And, you know, Campania, who had a breakout season uh, last year, uh, keep in mind, they let in 56 goals as a team. And so they're going to all find and well to talk about Joseph Martinez, Martinez scoring goals, but they're going to also have to shore up the back line. Yep. Uh, okay, Montreal, second in the East. We just mentioned uh, Wilfred Nancy, uh, no longer no longer there. Um, okay, so what do I have for Montreal? Uh, the Losada era, brand new coach, again, within the league. He comes up there, and Montreal obviously saw something in him that not only D.C. didn't see, but you know the way that it ended for uh, Hernan Losada in D.C. was, was not pretty. Um, so maybe up there in the Great White North, he can find a way to... Regain. It'll be interesting to see if some of the criticisms in terms of the way that he treated players, the way that he treated staff, the you know the uh, the very strict rules and regimens that he wanted his team to follow, both on and off the field. How much of that he continues to implement, or how much of he said he says, well, that wasn't good. Also, last year with the loss of uh, Mikhailovic, they're going to have to find a way to uh, fix that. Although Aaron Herrera comes over from RSL, and that's a big pickup. Yeah, a lot of people are predicting a big drop off for this team losing Nancy and Mihailovic, so we'll see okay. how they cope. I, I still, I still got him. Uh, I still got him there. And then uh, you mentioned uh, Joseph Martinez leaving, leaving Atlanta. I, I expect a bounce back from Atlanta. And keep in mind that this is now under the era of uh, of Garth Logaway. Uh, Joseph Martinez gone. Miles Robinson comes back into the mix, and that's kind of like adding a brand new player with his injury, and it was horrible for not just him and Atlanta, but also for the U.S. men's national team. And then you can't go wrong signing a a Greek, right? Georgios Giacomakis. Giacomakis. All right, there we go. The 28-year-old comes over from Celtic in attack, and, you know, he had a lot of suitors out there, and Atlanta ultimately won uh, for Georgios. Anything on Atlanta, Masi? Uh, I mentioned Inter Miami potentially signing an Argentine World Cup winner. Atlanta already have one in Tiago Amada. Yes, they do. He was the MLS newcomer of the year last year. Um, so hopefully he pushes on as even better this year. And they could use a bounce back campaign from Luis Araujo, who by the end of last season was a disaster. Uh, but we know he's a talented player and yep. we'll see what he can do. Okay, so now we go to the third tier. And again, as a reminder, this could all change. Uh, and this is just one man's opinion. Uh so I got Toronto in there, and I, I'm kind of being a little harsh here in terms of the money that they spend. And that just because you spend money doesn't mean necessarily going to be good. But I think that, that they are going to come good, and they have spent a lot of money, including uh, on some major DPs. But they also brought in some real quality talent in the form of Sean Johnson in goal and Matt Hedges. I watched their, uh, their preseason game uh, uh, this past weekend, and you can't glean too much from a preseason game. But I think I'm probably being a little bit unfair in keeping them down there but given what happened last year finishing 13th in the east i'm still going to keep them there and they're gonna have to prove it to me also victor vasquez i think is a pretty Mm -hmm. good pickup and you get a full season of insigne and bernadeschi uh second year under bob bradley yeah i don't know there's a lot of talent there but people aren't as high on this team as i thought they would be um they feel like a borderline playoff team to me they're going to be right on the bubble and, you know, the locker room's important and guys making a boatload of money. And if they're not performing and you got Michael Bradley in there and it's up to Bob Bradley to make sure that he deals with all of those uh, 
all those personalities. Uh, New England, my friends, uh, the revolution up there, finished 10th in the East under Bruce Arena. They continue on under Bruce Arena. They add Bobby Wood, Dave Romney, and Latif Blessing coming over. Uh, They potentially have the best goalkeeper in the league in Jordi Petrovic. Who knows how long he's going to be here. He's another one that's looking as this temporary platform from which to spring to bigger and better things. Um, And Latif Blessing, I think, is a solid pickup, but I still don't have them. I just... Not for lack of talent, but I just don't have them coalescing in the way that they they should. And, you know, at, at, there's another legend in terms of Bruce Serena. If this doesn't go well again next year, that could be problematic. Although he might have a long-term type of position when it comes to New England with a possible stadium and all that kind of stuff. Also, Bobby Wood, they added. Yep. You've got still got guys like Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo, sure. Dylan Borero, I like. So there's some pedigree there. But yeah, for whatever reason, I, I don't see this as a playoff team. Uh, I'm with you. All right. Uh, let's see. Charlotte, our friends from Charlotte. I mean, they came in last year and, you know, really all guns blazing in terms of the excitement and massive, massive crowds. They <laughs> they went uh, they went through uh, uh, they went through coaches and Hopefully they are coming out the other side. Uh, their record signing, Enzo Copetti, the Argentine coming over from Racing. Uh, and uh, we'll see if that partnership with Svidersky, who actually was pretty good last year, and now with a better understanding of what the league is on and off the field, while I think that they'll improve and still have huge crowds, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to ultimately be in the race. They also signed that young Serbian who really impressed in the friendly against the U.S., uh, Nikola Petkovic, I believe is his name. Okay. Uh, so that's one to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, interesting. Could they make an Austin FC year two-like leap? I don't know. That might be asking a lot. but uh, It's happened, though. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's happened. Sure. All right. Our friends DC United, uh, some OGs, if you will, when it comes to Major League Soccer, uh, they continue on under Wayne Rooney. And I do think it matters in terms of the aspirations that Wayne Rooney, we talked about platforms for other players. I do think that Wayne Rooney has aspirations to do some other things. Now, how much a European job is going to look at his performance with DC United, I I don't know. But he's Wayne Rooney. And for better or worse, the play of his team and the success or the failure is going to fall on his uh, his soldiers. Goodbye to Bill Hamid. Uh, and 12 other players, so this is a complete overhaul, and that's what I think Wayne Rooney needed to do, but just because you do that doesn't mean that it changes uh, their fortunes. I still don't have them uh, challenging when it comes uh, to the uh, the East. Christian Benteke, uh, now with a better understanding of what the uh, the league is, and uh, Matthias Klitsch come, uh, come in, so there's some talent and there is some experience, but I just don't think it's enough. I don't think so either. Okay. Chicago? What do you got for them? Well, I mean, you were so, you know, uh, verbose when it comes to uh, D.C. United. I didn't know if you had something better for Chicago. No, I, I honestly, I think D.C. and Chicago are two of the pretty nondescript teams in the league. Shakiri, another season, we'll see what he can bring them. But, um, I, yeah, I don't think either of these teams we're finishing out on yeah. or make much and of And don't move. sell me tickets on the fact that you sold Gaga Slonina and John Duran. I mean, I mean that that's great. They passed through, and they're no longer there they're no longer have the ability to help you on the field it's all fine and well from your uh financial perspective and from a development perspective but that doesn't win games and that's what chicago needs to do and that's what ezra hendrickson has to figure out right uh right now um they're bringing in who a defender uh arnaud Sequa. i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right from montpellier 
31 years uh, 31 <laughs> years old. But yeah, I don't have Chicago doing anything. And that's a problem. That's a problem for Chicago. It's a problem for the league. And it's not for, for lack of ambition and spending. They, they, they spend money, but it's just not translating. And so uh, Ezra Hendrickson, I think, is going to be under uh, the microscope and under the, uh, the hot seat from the very first whistle of, uh, of this year. All right. That is our Eastern Conference. Uh, we did the West. We did the East. You can agree. You can disagree. And as I said, it will change as we go through. But right now, that's where, uh, that's where I have them. And again, as I said before, I think this most difficult league to, uh, to predict. Anything before we take a break here, Mossy? Reminder, I will be at the Rose Bowl this upcoming weekend. If anybody recognizes me and wants to buy me a beer, I will gladly accept it. You need to go early, my friend, okay? Because it is going to be an absolute mess at the Rose Bowl this weekend as LAFC and LA Galaxy take on uh, each other in the first game. Last time we checked, they were over 70,000 tickets uh, sold. So it's it's always a mess, but it's going to be in particular a mess here. So definitely give yourself some time. Sounds good. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll take a trip around Europe because there was all sorts of stuff that happened. Welcome back. Uh, let's do a little recap because there was all sorts of soccer that happened uh, this weekend and all sorts of drama. And it has to be said, multiple leagues now that are giving us what we have we have ached for, what we have wanted for so long, and that is actual title races. So where do you want to start? Let's start in the APL, right? We began in England where there was a twist in the title race this past weekend. Arsenal were trailing 2-1 to one in the second half at Villa Park. And you start to think, well, if they drop points here and City take care of business later on against Nottingham Forest, that could be bad news for the Gunners. Lo and behold, they had a stirring comeback. Zinchenko equalizes and then two goals in stoppage time. Jorginho off the crossbar, off the back of Emmy Martinez and in for an own goal. And then Martinelli seals it uh, with an open netter. Uh, 4-2 Arsenal win. And then later on in the day, Manchester City held to a 1-1 draw away to Nottingham Forest. And so Arsenal back in front by two points and a game in hand, making a mockery of suggestions by certain podcasters that City were going to blow right past. I, I'll be honest. I went back and listened to the pod again because I remember what you had uh, said. And I just wanted to hear you say it about them kicking on and leaving uh, and leaving Arsenal in the dust. You were talking about Man City. It did, and, and just because it didn't happen this week doesn't mean that it, uh, that it won't happen. But this was a big, big let off the hook when it comes to what Man City did or actually what they what, what they didn't do. Uh, the Arsenal game, there was a moment there where everyone was saying, uh-oh, here it comes. And you know, you're, it was going to be prophetic in terms of what you were saying, where Aston Villa was up. And then Arsenal said, absolutely no, not. Saka continues to just be incredible and get better and better with game after uh, game after uh, game after game. And then City, if you're Pep, you go back into the locker room and say, how the hell is it that we did not get three points out of this game? And if you're, you know, Erlen Holland... I know he scores goals and has scored a lot of goals, but you got to score big goals. You got to score consistently when they need you the most to be one of the greats in the world. Now, I still think he's one of the greats in the world, but oh my goodness. Um, do, do you think that, or do you, are you taking back what you said, or do you still think it comes good in terms of Man City finding a way past Arsenal? You didn't see this one coming. No, no. I'm starting to wonder if City this season might not be their usual selves. And really? So, yeah. So uh, if I had to bet, I still think what I said right. is going to happen will happen, but I'm not 100% confident on the City team holding up their end of the bargain there. Okay, so now we've talked about Arsenal and Man City, but 
Manchester United is the big story here, isn't it? Yeah, the big question is to what degree is this a three-team race now? Because Manchester United won again, 3-0 over Leicester. Two more goals for Marcus Rashford, who is just unbelievable right Five now. Five points uh, now separate Arsenal, Manchester City, and uh, Manchester United. You mentioned, you mentioned Rashford. Let me, get, let me give you a question here. If you, right today, okay, everybody healthy and where they are today, would you rather have Rashford, Holland, or Mbappe? Wow. Well, Mbappe for sure above the other two. Oh, really? Yeah. You still think that he's he's a better player? Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that are arguing that right now that Rashford is the best attacking player in the world right now. I mean, on current, current form, but um, I'd still, in any scenario, okay. take Mbappe. Okay. All right. But Rashford versus Holland is definitely a conversation. Really? Yeah. No, it's not. You still take Holland? Yeah, for sure? I still take Holland. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I still take Holland. And 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 with I, I'd agree with you that I would still take Mbappe uh, over Rashford. I, I don't. I think he's. I I love what Rashford is doing, and it's wonderful to watch a, a player that in this moment that everything he touches turns uh, turns to gold. And I don't think it's luck. I mean, we've always we've talked now for years how good he is, and maybe he is turning a corner or taking a step that starts to put him into this upper uh, upper echelon of uh, of players. But man, this is this is fun to see. So whatever he is doing, whatever he's eating, wherever he's reading, whatever he is walking, whatever ritual and routine he's doing, don't stop it, my friend. All right. So, but you do think that Manchester United is in this race? They are. Sancho, by the way, got the other, yep. so it finished three 0 As you mentioned, they're five points back of Arsenal, three points back of City. So yeah, I consider this a three-team race now. Also, developments in the relegation battle. Last place, Southampton. 1-0 winners away to Chelsea. James Ward-Prowse with the free kick. The team that almost hired Jesse Marsh but didn't gets a big W here. Chelsea with just two wins in her last 14 Premier League matches. So that excitement from the new signings has worn off. The fans were booing. It's already a bad vibe. What is again. going on with Chelsea? All right, Are they putting all of their eggs into the Champions League basket? Is that, I mean, you know well, that because of this, they're going to win Champions League. <laughs> I mean, they lost the first leg to Dortmund, so they have some work to do. They're going to be uh, just fine, don't you worry. Well. Uh, the team that sacked Jesse Marsh, Leeds United, they suffered a 1-0 defeat away to Everton. Seamus Coleman with the only goal. We talked recently on this podcast about the Tony Miola-Dan Petrescu uh, play at the 94 World Cup. It was kind of similar here. Seamus Coleman from a tight angle, but Mesley, I don't know what he was doing on that play. So he went in and that was that. Um, let me ask you this. Um, U.S. fans on Twitter getting a lot of enjoyment from these tough guy moments by Wesson McKinney and Tyler Adams. Yeah. But there's starting to be a backlash to that. Like, how about winning some games? You right. know, what you're not seeing is highlights of them controlling the tempo, spraying passes, progressing the ball. It's a lot of just pushing and shoving and and giving other players looks and every U.S. fans thinking that's so cool. But I mean, at some point you need some results. Here. I Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. However, I will to defend not just them, but other players. Because if if you are coming into the league and it's your first time playing in the EPL, I think that there is the tendency, given what the image is of the league, to come in with, with the notion, and I think fairly so, that it is a much more physical and fast-paced league and that your, your physical output is going to dictate your success. And it's reinforced by the oohs and ahs and cheers if and when somebody goes in for a hard tackle. And that's kind of ingrained in the culture and has been for decades and decades and decades. And so I think that 
the the EPL in general lends itself to a more physical type of game. It allows it more from a refereeing perspective. It encourages it and it celebrates it more. And so I think someone like Weston McKinney or Tyler Adams coming in says, you know, the quickest way to people's hearts is through this physical, physical nature. That may be true, but it's fleeting and it's short term. Ultimately, while it might not be the quickest way, <laughs> the, the best way is by winning, by hook or by crook, figuring out a way to do it. And so I will, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, that that is starting to be part of the conversation. You know, stop trying to be a hard ass and just pass the ball and just make the tackles that you can do. And you can still be physical and get those oohs and ahs without getting in the face of somebody every single time you feel you're being, been aggrieved, which is sometimes what we're seeing with Tyler Adams. I love that he stands up for himself. I love that he stands up for his teammates. But at times you look around and you're saying, well, what are you standing up for right now? Really, it, was just, it was just a hard tackle or something like that. And you're, you're creating an, an incident and creating an altercation where there didn't need to be. So Everton out of the bottom three, Leeds dropped down to 19th, Southampton still 20th. Uh, next weekend, Leeds host Southampton. Oh Alexi, this is the magic of ProRel. This is it. In MLS, if you had a late season clash between the bottom two teams, it would be a snooze fest. Meanwhile, here you have all this drama surrounding this match. Leeds Southampton. It's wonderful. <laughs> Great. I love it. Uh, I love it. As opposed to, you know, when people in a in league without ProRel pro where they could just do whatever they want and not be worried about losing, losing their jobs because that's what they ultimately would be playing for. But I get it. Uh, finally. And I'll watch it. Finally, some developments in the top four race. Uh, Liverpool, they go to St. James Park. 2-0 win away to Newcastle, snapping Newcastle's 17-match Premier League unbeaten run. Both goals in the first half. Nunez set up by Alexander-Arnold. Gakpo set up by Salah. Two straight wins for the Reds. Uh, Tottenham leapfrog Newcastle for fourth this weekend. Uh, and Liverpool, not that far behind. They have some games in hand, so I think they're going to insert themselves into that top four race as well. Yeah, Liverpool at 22 games uh, at 35 points, so still seven points back from that fourth position, which Spurs are in right now. But they'd have to go on a run, and they're feeling much better right now, and they're looking much better, and you wouldn't put it past them given their talent, but it's going to have to happen now. Uh, to add insult to injury for Newcastle, starting goalkeeper Nick Pope sent off in the first half. That means he's suspended for the League Cup final next weekend. What was the, he doing? The backup, Dubavka, is a player who they loaned to Manchester United at the start of the season. He played in the League Cup for them, and then Newcastle recalled him, but he's now cup-tied for that match against, ironically enough, Manchester United. And so it looks like it's going to have to be Loris Karius who's a name that I'm going to evoke in a few minutes yeah. when we talk Liverpool Real Madrid Champions League history. Uh, he is the third stringer there, so everybody assumes he's now next man up, and he's going to end up starting that League Cup final, Newcastle-Manchester United at Wembley next weekend. So so he had already, the second string goal he had already, already played in the tournament, so right. that's why he was correct. This wasn't one of those BS contractual things where they don't allow you to play against your team. I don't like that. Uh, so that's it in England. Okay. Uh, we switch gears to Germany, and let me just say this. Okay. Bayern Munich have been very good over the years, but they've also benefited from the flakiness of some of their competitors in the Bundesliga. And we had an all-time demonstration of that this weekend because Bayern Munich lose to Borussia Mönchengladbach on Saturday. Upamecano sent off in the opening minutes. They had to play most of the match down a man. They suffered a 3-2 defeat 
and that opened the door for Union Berlin. All they had to do on Sunday was beat last place Schalke at home. They would have leapfrogged Bayern into first place. What happens? Nil-nil. So Union Berlin squandered that opportunity. However, the good news is Borussia Dortmund, and I know I'm whipping through the games quickly here. No, Sean good. Sullivan's yeah. hair is probably on no, fire right there. Uh, Borussia Dortmund took care of their business. 4-1 home win over Hertha Berlin. Adeyemi, Malin, Royce, Brandt with the goals. Uh, Gio Reyna, an unused sub, by the way. He's last couple of games, it's been a really limited role for him. Um, so, They're saving him. Yes. So right now, the Bundesliga, Bayern 43, Union Berlin 43, Dortmund 43, a three-way tie with 13 games left to play. Yep. The race is on, huh? Oh, my goodness. This is what we have talked about for many years. And to your point, just it's never come to fruition, especially at the end of uh, or the second half of the season. But it's also you you get offered this gift and you slap it away if you're uh, Union Berlin against against Schalke. And so are you real or not? Because if you're real, you take care of business, which is what Dortmund is doing right now. So, yeah, I'm I'm all for this. Bring it on. I still, I mean, between these three, your safe money is still on Bayern Munich to figure it out, right? And, but so you don't think when all is said and done, while it might come down the stretch, you th- you still think that Bayern Munich's going to win? Uh, yes, we do have a great game coming up uh, next round. Bayern host Union Berlin. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Auf Wiedersehen. That's it. That's done. <laughs> all right. Should we go to Liga? Let's go to Ligue 1. Uh, PSG involved in a crazy game. They hosted Lille. They jumped out to a 2-0 lead. Early goals by Mbappe and Neymar. Then Lille scored three unanswered to take a 3-2 lead. PSG were staring at their fourth straight defeat in all competitions. But Mbappe equalized in the 87th minute. And Lionel Messi with a free kick winner deep in stoppage time. 4-3 victory for PSG. Marseille, incidentally, took care of their business. They beat Toulouse, so the gap is still five. Next weekend, Marseille hosts PSG, game of the season in Ligue 1, looking to cut into that deficit. All right, well, first off, just seeing Messi do what he does, it never gets old, and they certainly needed him, but there are there are problems. Neymar hurt? Is that what's going on now? The bad news here, yeah. Neymar injured his ankle early in the second half, got stretched off. Uh, early reports, uh, out three to four weeks, which would take him out of that second leg against Bayern Munich. I will say, I know Neymar fanboys won't want to hear this, that might be a blessing for PSG. Wow. You'd still like to have him as an option on the bench, but I do think the thing to do in that game for PSG is play Messi and Mbappe up front and actually put out a proper midfield and try to have some control of that game, which is something they failed to do in that first leg. Well, um, wait, I don't, wait. So I don't you think, think they're forcing Messi into the lineup or just with where, uh, no, no, oh, no. I'm sorry, Neymar into the lineup. Yeah. I don't think uh, playing away to Bayern uh, is a game to play all three of those guys up front. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, so I think if you take Neymar out of the equation, it actually lends itself to a more properly balanced lineup. Remember, they're only down a goal. So it's right. not like, crazy kitchen sink time. They just need to play a good, solid match and have Mbappe and Messi have a moment or two and they could take it. So, uh, you know what I mean? Playing the, all three of the away to Bayern, that could have been a recipe for disaster. They might be unbalanced. Bayern could exploit that. So, okay. right. uh, we'll see. All right. La Liga? La Liga, uh, both Real Madrid and Barcelona victorious. Real Madrid 2-0 away to Osasuna. Benzema sat out with an injury. The goal is courtesy of Valverde and Asensio. They brought on Real Madrid this young Uruguayan striker, Alvaro Rodriguez, who just starred in the South American U-20s. And he assisted Vinicius for a goal that was called back for a millimetric offsides. 
and then he assisted Asensio for a goal that counted that sealed the victory. So they might have found something here because they've suffered all season from not having a suitable backup for Benzema whenever he's out. They've had to play Rodrigo as a false nine. He's had some good games in that role, but I don't love it. Love him there. And so we'll see if this kid, Alvaro Rodriguez, can give them a lift. Uh, but the bad news for Real Madrid, Barcelona took yeah, care of their business. The equation. 2-0 home win over Cadiz, Sergi Roberto and Robert Lewandowski with the goal, so the gap stays eight. Okay, and Serie A? And then finally Serie A, Napoli continued to roll, 2-0 win away to Sassuolo. Who else but Varadzkelia and Osimhen with the goals. Uh, bonus, one bonus score, uh, not in the rundown. Uh, AC Milan, 1-0 away win over Suvri Berlusconi on Monza. The lone goal courtesy of Brazilian Junior Messias. Why do I bring this up? I mistakenly said on our last podcast that Junior Messias missed a header against Tottenham that would have made it 2-0. It was actually the young defender, Chow, who missed that. That's been bugging me for five days, so I wanted to correct that on this podcast. <laughs> All right. You got it, right? Uh, yep. That's that for the domestic action. Uh, we have four more Champions League round of 16 first legs to look forward to uh, this week. The big one on Tuesday, Liverpool will host Real Madrid. A lot of recent history between these two clubs. All of it, Real Madrid's favor. They defeated Liverpool in the 2018 and 2022 Champions League Finals. 2018 was in Kiev. You might recall Sergio Ramos injuring Mo Salah. Gareth Bale coming off the bench, scoring the bicycle. Loris Karius having a shocker in goal. And then last year, 1-0 Real Madrid in Paris. Vinicius with the only goal. Our colleagues Keith Kosigan and Zach Kenworthy in attendance. They witnessed the whole Michigas with Liverpool fans, which UEFA recently apologized for. Took the blame on it. Um, Real Madrid also prevailed in the 2021 quarterfinals, eliminating Liverpool there. So recent history, all in Real Madrid's favor. They are the reigning champions. What do you think? Liverpool playing better of late, though. Yeah, I still would go with Real Madrid. I mean, yeah, I'm going with Real Madrid. Also on Tuesday, Eintracht Frankfurt uh, will host Napoli in the first leg of their tie. Frankfurt, a uh, sneaky good team. They won the Europa League last season, got out of their Champions League group in this campaign. They're sixth in the Bundesliga. They have the emerging Rando Colomwani leading their attack, but they come up against this Napoli juggernaut, probably been the best team in Europe this season. Um, so what do you think? Relative to Napoli, uh, how many of these players get picked off here going forward? I mean, so is is this a team that can survive and continue on? Uh, because well, while Napoli is certainly a storied club and is going to win Serie A and be in Champions League and do all that kind of stuff, people are going to come calling when you have these types of players that are doing these things. Yeah, the big two, Osimhen and Varadzkelia, I think, are going to get picked off. I was already listening to a podcast on Marca uh, about Varaskelia talking about Real Madrid and Barcelona tracking him. And so with that level of club comes in and offers enough money. I don't see how you keep it. Aussie man feels like a guy ticketed for the Premier League, some Chelsea, Manchester United type club will offer big money for him. So okay. uh, they are arguably the best team in Europe uh, and playing with a, a confidence. And like you said, a fearlessness that should scare everybody, including Frankfurt. And so I think Napoli, not a problem. On Wednesday, Leipzig will host Manchester City. Sean Sullivan put in the run on the corporate sellout bowl. I guess he's turned off by the whole Red Bull thing, and we know about City's problems. So Sean Sullivan taking a principled stance here. He's out on this matchup. Mm, okay. Well, you should, you know, go into the background of every owner uh, out there and <laughs> weed through it. I'm sure there's some things that we could find. I will say... 
Um, I expect City to advance, but Leipzig can be frisky. A lot of firepower. Andres Silva, Timo Werner, and Kunku, Zobelai, Forsberg. Also, they've got Vardiol anchoring the back line, who impresses so much with Croatia at the yep. World Cup. So him and Holland is a fun matchup. So I'm actually looking forward to this game. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think City have to have to do something. Pep has to has to do something here because you've already stated that you're not as confident and comfortable with this city team right now. And they might just be gliding or this might be as good as it gets. And if this is as good as it gets, then that's not good enough. I still think they find a way you know, past Leipzig. Also on Wednesday, Inter hosts Porto, first leg of their tie. I like this Inter team. I know Napoli have uh, overshadowed everybody else in Serie A this season, but they're in second place. They got out of a Champions League group that had Bayern and Barcelona in it. Um, you know, Lukaku, Lautaro, Mkhitaryan, Chalanolu, there's Barella, there's, there's plenty of talent there. I, I like Inter to advance in this tie against Porto. Okay. All right. Anything else? Um, that's it for on the field stuff. We had some really sad news in European football. Um, Christian Atsu, we found out, passed away in that horrible earthquake, uh, Turkey and Syria. Atsu, a Ghanaian international, played for the likes of, uh, Newcastle and, um, so all sorts of tributes in the soccer world, uh, including his Ghanaian compatriot, Mohamed Kudus, scored a free kick for Ajax this weekend and gave a tip of the cap to Atsu. So uh, very sad story. Horrible, yeah. horrible story. Uh, obviously, you know, for him relative, uh, you know, to being a soccer player, but you know, you're talking 50,000 people and just horrible, horrible devastation, uh, horrible horrible news and stories for the most part, you know, every once in a while, a, a glimmer and, you know, they, they've been pulling people, uh, or they were pulling people for, you know, a couple of weeks, which was absolutely amazing, but just is going to go down as just a, a horrible, horrible, uh, moment for, uh, for these countries, uh, that are going to have to build back. And so, you know, a, a thoughts and prayers type of thing to uh, Krishnatsu and his his family and his friends and everybody that loved him as the player and the wonderful player that he was on the field, but also if you read about him, uh, the incredible individual that he was off the field and just one of thousands, unfortunately, that lost their lives in the uh, devastating earthquakes. That is it. All right, we'll take another break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. All right, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you uh, ask us questions out there on the social media platforms. You use that hashtag Ask Alexi or Hash Mossy for that matter, uh, and you send it to us on you know the Twitters and the Instagrams and the Facebooks and that kind of stuff. Keep in mind that our Twitter uh, and all of our social media handles are SOTU with Alexi, or you can call in and leave a message on our State of the Union podcast hotline at 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. I think so we, got, we got some Twitter and voicemail stuff this week, right, Mossy? Yeah, we'll start with uh, tweets. John Wisniewski asks, thoughts on the women's Canadian soccer team going on strike? Okay, so I spent a lot of this weekend, by the way, uh, doing... Uh, deep dives into women's soccer. So there was a lot of women's soccer on the field uh, that I was looking at. I mean, She Believes Cup, as we've, uh, as we've talked about, the Arnold Clark Cup, uh, Revelations Cup, Tournée de France, and uh, the Women's World Cup playoffs that are going on, which is important because, uh, you know, the winner of what now is going to be the Portugal versus Cameroon game, the winner will be in the U.S.'s group come the World Cup this uh, summer. Those three uh, finalists now are Portugal versus Cameroon, Chile versus Haiti, and Paraguay versus Panama. And those three teams will then come out and be the final three teams that qualify for uh, for the World Cup. Uh, I, I, 
so I so I watched a lot of soccer, including the Canadian national team. And, you know, we saw them over this uh, this past week play in uh, in She Believes. And they're playing, you know, after going through a, a lot of off field turmoil in that uh, they threatened, as we mentioned before, to strike and not play the game. Ultimately, they looked at the situation and, and just were realistic about the problems that could come from them not playing and the violation of their contracts and Canadian law and all that kind of stuff. And they ended up uh, ultimately playing. You know, thoughts on this Canadian soccer team going forward? You know, one of the things that the U.S. women who have gone through this in the past in terms of standing up for what they believe is right and having a voice and using their platform to state their case. And it's absolutely their side of the case. And there are other sides. And by the way, fair and legitimate arguments and uh, opposite sides when it comes to it. But when you when you do that, you, you recognize that that platform comes from what you do on the field. And one of the things that has really been impressive and I, I got a lot of respect for the women, whether I agree with anything that's gone on or things that they say, is that they constantly back it up on the field. And this is the number one team in the world. And they all recognize individually and collectively that that voice that they have comes from their success on the field. And they are able in an amazing way to compartmentalize all the stuff that's going on off the field uh, and concentrate on what's going on in the field. There was a lot of talk in the, uh, uh, in the uh, broadcasts of the Canadian uh, team this week of all the stress that they're under and all the things that are happening off the field. And that's all fine and well, and that's all context and part of the story. But ultimately, that whistle blows, and people aren't going to care about that part of the story. And certainly, your opponents aren't going to care about that part of the uh, that part of the story. And you can be there in solidarity, and you can support and do all that. But then the whistle blows, and the game of soccer uh, happens. And this is a Canadian team that hopes to compete hopes to build off uh, their Olympic success, hopes to go down to Australia and uh, New Zealand and do well uh, down there. But they have this hanging over them. And as I said before, there are, I'm sure, legitimate and ultimate and, uh, and alternative um, arguments that will be made, because they're not being made now publicly, by the Canadian Soccer Federation as to why decisions have been made. Ultimately, yeah, I want the U.S. Uh, the uh, Canadian national team uh, to be treated well. I want them to make money. I want them to uh, have the same opportunities and the same resources that their counterparts on the Canadian men's national team, which appeared in the World Cup just a few months ago, uh, had going forward. And you know that they are willing to fight for that. That's that's great. That they have a voice and a platform. That's that's great too. And I hope that this gets sorted out because when the U.S. kicks their ass as they did uh, this last week, but when they do it in the World Cup, possibly, I don't want there to be any excuses. I want them to have sorted it out, have come to an agreement uh, that they feel is fair and equitable going forward, and then I want them to be the best Canada that they can be so that when the U.S. beats them or anybody else beats them, there are, uh, there are no excuses. We, we mentioned um, watching uh, the games. A shout out to the U.S. Women's National Team, which is blazing through this, uh, she believes, uh, cup. Uh, another win over Japan. We mentioned the win over uh, Canada. Two very different teams in the way that they play. Mal Swanson is incredible, formerly Mount Pugh. Uh, she just keeps scoring, and that's a good thing for Vlatko Andonovsky. There are still plenty of questions when it comes to this U.S. 
uh, women's uh, team as they try to defend and win their third World Cup in a, in a row. Again, unprecedented, never been done, men's or women's. We will see them again on Wednesday when they take on Brazil. And these three teams were specific in the different ways that they play, obviously a long tradition and history between these teams. But the way that Canada plays is very different. The way that Japan plays is very different than the way that uh, Brazil plays. But so far, so good for Mal Swanson and uh, for this U.S. team in the uh, She Believes Cup. Mallory Swanson feels more relaxed after getting married. Right, exactly. Is that how it works? That's exactly how it works, my friend. Wait till the first show that we do after uh, your nuptials. You're going to be at a whole other level. If you can believe it, you're going to be even better than you already are. Uh, I just want to note, even this angry and unmotivated Canadian side still beat Brazil 2-0. I have not been impressed with Brazil in this tournament. I know Ali Wagner said in an appearance on this podcast that Brazil was one of her dark horses to win this next World Cup. She is out of her mind. They're getting darker by the uh, game. This team is going nowhere. Um, (laughs) And the U.S. will, as you mentioned, will close out the She Believes Cup against Brazil in Frisco, Texas on Wednesday. Uh, Very quickly, I do want to mention the men's U-17 uh, team. They squeaked by the Dominican Republic at 7-0 in the round of 16 of the CONCACAF Under-17 Championship. Tomorrow they face Guatemala, a win there, and the U.S. would qualify for the Under-17 World Cup in Peru later this year. So lots of stuff going on men's and women's side, national team-wise. Uh, we have another tweet, uh, this one regarding the uh, senior men's U.S. national team. Soccer Thoughts says, I've heard people talk about money as being an issue for the next manager. How about we just don't fill those other positions, meaning sporting director and general (laughs) manager, and just give all the money to Jose Mourinho? Okay, I've I've heard this about breaking the bank. I've heard this uh, this question and this opinion that because 2026 is such a big moment that the United States Soccer Federation— should do whatever it takes to get the best possible coach. Now, keep in mind that when you're talking about Mourinho's and these types of coaches, I mean, you're talking into eight figures at times in terms of what they are making. And that's not even close to what the U.S. is going to pay. And also keep in mind that the United States Soccer Federation, while they want to do well in 2026 and they recognize the opportunity and the platform that 2026 is, they also have a responsibility to post-2026. And I think sometimes this gets lost in the constant conversation where the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team take up so much of the oxygen. And I understand why. They are the focal points and they are the massive generators of revenue for the United States Soccer Federation. But the United States Soccer Federation is so much more than just the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team. And so they do have a fiduciary responsibility to be responsible in terms of what they do. And I don't think that spending the $10 million or whatever it ends up being is necessarily what you need to do going forward. Because keep in mind, again, every single dollar that you spend on a Jose Mourinho or something like that is a dollar taken away from all of the other programs. And this gets back to also the U.S. women's and men's national team. And while they don't like to talk about it and they don't like to recognize it publicly for understandable reasons, and I was in their position too and I wouldn't want to either, when they are getting their money and getting theirs, which is what they what they ultimately are fighting for, They are, again, taking money away from other programs and other things that the United States Soccer Federation is responsible for all of their membership and all of their programs. And so bankrupting or 
making irresponsible financial decisions on the USS, uh, United States Soccer Federation's part in order to go and sign someone like Jose Mourinho, I don't think that that's responsible. I don't think that that is the right thing to do. And I'm not saying that you don't push it. I'm not saying that 2026 isn't a, an important event. But I think what's going to also happen here in the, in the, in the future, we're going to come to find out how much money the U.S. women's national team and the U.S. men's national team are making going forward. And there's going to be a lot of questions as to was this, was this responsible from a fiscal perspective? Was this fiduciary responsibility that you have the right thing to do or ultimately the easiest thing to do? And what other things are now being hurt in the Federation because of the money that you are giving now to the men and the women and potentially going forward to answer your question here, a manager where you're going into eight figures. But even you've acknowledged, you're not sure what the general manager does in no. this situation. Yeah, so so yeah. let's say they had an amount budgeted for a manager and then an amount budgeted for a general manager and they could get the ideal manager in place. Would you be willing to say, hey, let's just scrap the general manager and just pull that money together and just use it to hire the best manager possible? Well, so what ended up happening was Ernie Stewart went to this position above everyone, okay, so they could pay him what they needed to pay him. And he oversaw both the men's and women's program, Kate Margraf as the GM over for the women, and then Brian McBride over this as the GM for the men's. What's going to probably happen here is they're just going to separate the two. And Kate Margraf will be responsible for the women and insert this person over here, whether it's a sporting director or a GM. And so there will be this separation. But still, now who is overseeing them in terms of what Ernie Stewart has is, is done? But yes, it doesn't, but but that doesn't change the the numbers. I, I understand your no larger point. Yeah. What they're paying, it's not even to come close to the ten million dollars or whatever that Joseph Mourinho is is uh, is used to making. So yeah, I don't think that you break the bank and in doing so put yourself into that type of debt simply to sign Jose Mourinho for 2026. All right, moving on, we have a voicemail. And based on the description of the rundown, uh, this is a topic that I don't think I'm going to want to discuss, but let's take a listen anyway. Hey, guys, this is Luke from Denver. I actually have a question for Mossy. Mossy, as a Brazilian fan, I know we're nine years removed, but I want to know your initial reaction to uh, the Brazil versus Germany match in the 2014 World Cup and uh how you feel now about it um so yeah uh thank you guys love love the podcast so much and i uh, appreciate everything you do peace all right okay my goodness well you were there in brazil covering that world cup for espn correct uh yes i i, I certainly was um so g give people a little idea that, that maybe don't remember it uh germany defeated brazil 7-1 in the world cup semifinals at the Mineiro. Uh, and I will tell you the honest to God truth. Um, I hated that Brazil team. I didn't like it going into the World Cup. I didn't think it was that good. And then certainly when you take Thiago Silva and Neymar off of it, because remember, Neymar got injured in the quarterfinals against Colombia, and Thiago Silva got a yellow card in that game and was suspended for the uh, semifinals. I was even more pessimistic. And then Scolari made one of the all-time ridiculous lineup choices starting this guy Bernard in that game. And so I swear on the life of my parents, when I saw the team sheet that day, I thought to myself, we are going to get smashed. Now, I thought three or four nil, a quote unquote normal scoreline. So it was even worse than I expected, but I was at least mentally prepared. It wasn't like I sat down and watched that game thinking, hey, we're going to win this one. Like I was horribly pessimistic about that <laughs> game. So it actually softened the blow a little bit. Um, honestly, 
the Croatia loss in this last World Cup bothers me 50 times more than this one. I still, like, multiple t- nights a week, wake up tossing and turning, thinking about that Croatia game and the goal we allowed late in extra time. Because right. it hurts more when it's close and it's a team you like that you actually thought was capable of winning the World Cup versus this garbage with David Luiz anchoring the back line and <laughs> Paulinho in midfield. But you recognize how iconic it was and how it, it, it is used it's, as a representation of it's Brazilian the most, failure. Sure, it's the most stunning scoreline in soccer history. So, so you mentioned uh, uh, that I was covering it. Yeah, so we were down, I was working for ESPN at the time, and we were down at the Copacabana in our, in our studio. And you know that moment where it goes beyond anger and sadness? So... You know, they initially start scoring and people are screaming and yelling. And we were working with wonderful uh, uh, Brazilian uh, locals that were that were there in our in our studio and they're invested in it. And so they're screaming and yelling and then it starts getting really bad and they start crying. And then it went completely silent. They had gotten past any type of outward emotion and they had internalized it so much because unlike you who kind of saw this coming maybe not to the extent there that was not the case from everybody there and so the surprise and just the utter disbelief that something like this could possibly happen at this point to them it was palpable a few things i was in brazil for a good part of that world cup stayed with family attended a bunch of games including a brazil group game against cameroon 4-1 in brasilia um and but I left two days before that semifinal. I had to be back here for something, and so thank God because I did not want. I'm very glad I wasn't in Brazil for that. Uh, that would have been horrible. Um, you might recall it was seven nil Germany, and Oscar scored a late goal to make it seven one. That goal has entered the lexicon in Brazilian football. When you score like a totally meaningless consolation goal, goal people yeah. say that's an Oscar goal now. <laughs> um, lastly, I, I always tell people this. Uh, Brazil and Germany have played two World Cup matches against each other. In one of them, Brazil's front three was Ronaldo, Rivaldo, and Ronaldinho. In the other one, it was Fred, Hulk, and Bernard. I'll let you guess which one Brazil won <laughs> and which one Brazil lost. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, it'll still live long in, in, in the memories. Um, okay. Uh, anything else, Masi? That is it. All right. Another quick break. When we come back, we will finish this a little bit longer today. This longer show uh, with uh, my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Uh, it is the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my uh, one for the road. Uh, this week, we've had uh, the drops of the new MLS 2023 jerseys. I call them jerseys. I know people call them kits and all that kind of stuff, but you know the, the jersey porn is in abundance and has been over the last couple of weeks. So I thought I'd just give you a real quick uh, blaze through all of them. But, but uh, let me say this about jerseys, Mossy. Okay, uh, first off... Um, Detail is fine, okay? But if your jersey design is, it's it's only cool up close with a magnifying glass, then it's it's really not cool. I want it to, I want it to pop on the screen when I'm watching. I want to know uh, and be able to see who is playing and have no doubt. I want you to be able to describe it to me. Also, if you've been associated with a specific color and you've kind of been married to it, then that's your color. Lean into it and own it. Um, also, finally, I know all these jerseys come with these long explanations and stories. 
And I know a lot of people spend a lot of time. I was there. I, I've, I've done rebrands and I've put out jerseys, so I get it. You want that story to be part of it. But if I have to read the story of a jersey to appreciate it, then I think you've already failed. And don't ask me uh, or yell at me if I don't know the story behind a jersey. The jersey is the jersey. If there's an additional story that makes it that much better, fine. But people aren't necessarily going to go look for it, nor should they. Okay, so everybody came out with their jerseys except for Montreal. Keep in mind, Montreal has rebranded multiple times over the last couple of years. So they had a little bit of a problem when it came to um, uh, to their jersey. I'm just going to blaze through these really, really quickly. They all have been given names, all of except a couple. All right? Vancouver, Bloodlines. Classic Vancouver. I got no problem with that. Toronto, they call it the club kit. That's all you could come up with. I don't think it's a very good name, but I actually enjoy the jersey. St. Louis, I think, is uninspired, even though it's called the spirit. Uh, Sporting KC, hoops, love hoops. I call it uh, hoops 4.0. Got no problem with the hoops. I think that that's good. San Jose, the active fault, I think, leaning into the whole earthquakes thing, which is interesting. Who knows how long that's going to last before they get you know, canceled and have to change relative to a natural disaster that they are based around. The Bruce Lee is really interesting up there in Seattle. Um, I like what they did. Love Bruce Lee and I love that homage to Bruce Lee, but it's red. And as a lot of people pointed out, it reminds you of, of RSL. Uh, so I don't think it worked. The Beehive State from RSL, it looks dirty. And if you're going to go Beehive, then make it yellow and a real yellow with some black. Our, uh, let's see, Red Bull. Oh my God, this Daniel Patrick thing I think is horrible. Uh, I think it is. it looks like somebody dropped a pen in the washer and it just looks dirty on the front. And even the back, it's not even white. It's like a, a, a putrid urine type of white. Oh, it's horrible. Portland, love it. The plaid uh, reminds me of a pine forest uh, and obviously green. That's good. Philadelphia, uh, I, I love that it's Thomas's English muffins now on the front of your jersey. And I love that you're really leaning into the, uh, the snake. Uh, as part of your uh, as part of your brand, don't like the Simpsons cloudish type of thing behind it. NYCFC, the inner borough, no problem. Uh, I know exactly who is playing now. The Nashville Man in Black. Uh, this is an interesting interesting run. Don't get me wrong. I love Johnny Cash. This is an homage to Johnny Cash. It's all black, which obviously Johnny Cash would would approve. But I I, I think you're just going to look like. A, a nondescript team playing out there as if you're doing a preseason game ultimately. So I think it could have been more. Uh, uh, New England, the defiance, I'm not having it, does nothing for me. Minnesota, the Northern Lights, I like it. The Aurora, Aurora Borealis, whatever it is, I actually like what they've done there. Miami, La Noche, uh, you know I love that pink, and I'm going to talk later about pink, but if it's going to be black, I love the accents of pink. I think they did a good, good job there. Uh, LA Galaxy kit, uh, they just call it the kit. Why not call it something else? I actually like it. It's it's green. I think they should have done more with the uh, collar and uh, and sleeve accents that they have. LAFC, the smoke screen, horrible. Just looks like dirty. Uh, Houston, it's orange, so I get it. No problem. I know who you are. The cherry blossom from D.C. It it's it looks like the like the cover of the Load album from Metallica and go look it up. Uh, you know what I'm talking about here, but I can't tell it at all. And you're never going to be able to tell what that is, even though you're celebrating it. Burn baby, burn from Dallas. Nothing again. If if it's burn, then show something burning. I know they have these little flames in there, but it does nothing for me. Colorado, new day, and again, this goes back to what I said. I don't I don't care about the story. It's not that I don't care about 
the, whatever cause or charity that you are benefiting out there. But I, this is yeah, okay. It's it's nothing. Uh, Crown Jewel from Charlotte. There's only one purple team, and that's Orlando. Uh, Velo City from Columbus, actually, not so bad. Okay. The River from Cincinnati. I like the concept of a river, but I think it should be more pronounced and more visible when it comes to the river. Chicago looks like a bunch of lawn darts or something like that, or confetti. I don't know what, what's going on there. It's Chicago. Uh, Austin, La Voces. Uh, I dig it. I like that one. Atlanta, classic. The 17s, it's just a classic. It's an homage. That's what I think of when I think of Atlanta, and it's undeniable what Atlanta is. So I'm loving that. And then the wall from Orlando, purple. You are purple. You own purple. And I love that you uh, owned it there. In, in totality, I thought they did a good job. And there's a lot of really interesting and good jerseys out there that I think people are like. A lot of these are third jerseys. So there's plenty of others uh, out there. And and, you know, it's all done by Adidas. And sometimes the cookie cutter problem arises when you have somebody doing all of them. But I think that they've given them the opportunity to make them their own. I think they've given the opportunity in a good sense to make it something that is uh, what people want to buy and is distinctive for their club. And this is just, again, one man's opinion. Um, I, I will uh, finish it up with this. I love collars. Mossy. I love collars in jerseys. Okay. Uh, you know, do you remember laughter? Does anybody remember laughter? Does anybody remember collars in jerseys? They, they don't do that a whole lot. Uh, I don't know if you remember even before then the, uh, the lace up types of things in front. I, I, I don't, I, I think that looks a whole lot more classic and I like that. So what we thought was I would give you my five all time jerseys out there and there's so many jerseys. And again, just, just my opinion here. But I said, all right, I'm going to come up with my five best. So coming in uh, at number uh, five would be, and I just mentioned it, is Atlanta, the 2018 Atlanta. You remember we talked about Joseph Martinez, uh, classic uh, Miguel Amarone running around here, if you can see on our, uh, on our screen here. I just, I know exactly who it is. I thought they branded perfectly when they came into the league. I think that they are a wonderful case study and how to do it right. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I also mentioned collars and I mentioned the fact that I love pink. I just love the color pink. So coming in at number four is the 2022 Miami Jersey. There's uh, Mr. Iguain running around collar check. I'm in pink check. Although I will say this inter Miami, you need to lean in more. It needs to be pinker. It, this is not even as pink as it should be. I'm happy that you're pink. I'm happy that you own pink, but it has to be even pinker as far as I'm concerned, but still a classic look. Uh, and uh, so that's my, that's my number four. Number three, this was a throwback and I just love it. 2014 Portland. Again, there is a collar. Uh, there is a, uh, a lace up in front, but it just it looked wonderful. That's uh, Darlington Nagby running around, uh, running around there. Uh, this was a third kit. And again, this was a throwback type of thing. And I just wish that they would use this every single year. And I understand the business around third kits. I don't, you know, don't yell at me. I get it. I understand why it's done. I understand why you deviate from your colors to make it unique, to make people buy it. I understand all that. Number two, coming in, and these are, I am biased when it comes to these last two. The 2007 Los Angeles Galaxy, that mid-season rebrand with David Beckham coming in. Again, there's a collar, and I just thought it was clean. I thought it was um, a 
dramatic departure from what the galaxy was, but I think it set the galaxy apart. And a lot of people actually like the blue version, which would be the away version of that with yellow highlights, which really popped. Uh, this is the white version that has become iconic because of the association with uh, David Beckham. And I was involved in that whole process. And so, yeah, like I said, I'm biased. And then number one, I'm going all the way back to 1996. Yours truly, the New England Revolution. I mean, that says America, Mossy. That says I'm American. I love America. And give me as much red, white, and blue and flag as you possibly can on one shirt right there. So these are my top five here. I know people out there have different opinions. Let me know. Mossy, that was a, a long rant there on a lot of jerseys there. Anything that you'd like to say? Yeah, for those just listening, I'm still here. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say? I just want to compliment our graphics people. They're they awesome. crushed it today. They are awesome. They, it's, they are uh, awesome. It's uh, the lovely Kiara and also a guy named Danny DeVito, believe it or yes. not, works at Fox, and he's been instrumental in getting all these graphics for the podcast. They are wonderful, and they turn them around real quickly. And as we mentioned, we, from a production standpoint, uh, the visual aspect of this podcast is becoming more and more important. We are here in the studio. I know a lot of people listen, but there's a lot of people also that actually watch. And so the aspects that we can bring in and the content that we can bring in and, and obviously all of the graphics that we have right now, there's a lot of great men and women that are working very, very hard to make that. And we will continue to add more and more as we go on because it's just, you know, we, we can talk all that we want, but it makes us look that much better. Anything before we go, Mossy? That's it. All right. We will, uh, like we said, this is a long one today. We hope you hung out with us uh, all the way through. Uh, we will be back again later on in the week. Keep downloading, keep, keep reviewing, keep rating. Uh, certainly send in those questions with uh, the Ask Alexi hashtag on all of the uh, handles out there, SOTU with Alexi, or send in your uh, questions on the State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. We will talk again later on this week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.